Good evening and welcome to this New Year's edition of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, This 1st of January, I'm joined by Anija, Joel and Mags. Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Um, Yeah, and on this first day of 2020, we're going to talk about a film that's been out for about two weeks now, and that is, I want to say, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Um, so yeah, we, we went to see this relatively recent, well, Mags and I went to see this relatively recently. When, when did Gerald and Anja, when did you guys go, go see this? Did you guys see this at lunch or? We, yeah, we watched it on the first weekend after its release. So, um, we watched it on the Sunday after the Thursday release. Um, and, uh, and so we had already caught some wind of the critical reaction to the movie, but, um, the, I think the critical critical consensus had yet to build up um, to this to, to to the extent that we now see um, but there were hints of um, let's say a less than positive critical reaction already out there in the ether yeah it's an interesting like it's interesting actually nowadays with films how um, polarizing so when you go on rotten tomatoes you have these you have heaps of films that have like high critic scores and low audience scores or vice versa. I'm not entirely sure what the situation with... Look, regardless, like, we never really let Rotten Tomatoes sway what we think anyway, right? So we can circle back around to talk about the the scores later on. But, um, yeah, look, why don't we start by just going around the table and giving our sort of impressions of the film and whether we would actually recommend this... um, yeah, recommend this. Oh, before we do that, I think when we did Solo, we kind of went around the table and we kind of talked about our our level of Star Wars fan engagement, I guess. Um, that's still pretty much the same, right? No one's suddenly become a massive Star Wars fan in the last year or so. No. <laughs> yeah. So right. I... I in light of the fact that Star Wars was the last star, uh, that Solo was the last Star Wars property that that I watched, um, I've yet to delve into the Mandalorian, for example. Um, it can fairly be said that my level of engagement with the Star Wars universe is not great. Yeah. So I, I think generally, Jerry, Anija, you guys are both not big Star Wars fans. You, like Anija, have you even seen all the prequels and the I don't think I've, I've seen the three originals, and I think that the last of the prequels I haven't seen. Okay. And Max, mm. have you seen you've seen the originals, and have you seen the prequels? You've seen all of them, right? Um, I've seen the originals. I think I have seen the prequels. I probably have seen the prequels, but they're so forgettable I've forgotten that I've watched them. <laughs> okay. And I've watched Hunt Solo. Okay, okay. Uh, and you also watch Rogue One. So but... yeah, we've we've I think we've all seen Rogue One and Solo. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you guys aren't people who would go out of your way to sort of get more Star Wars stuff, right? As in, you wouldn't no. sort of participate in the merchandise. You don't watch like God cartoons, no. or whatever <laughs> is, right? Yeah, nah. we don't cartoons. We don't read the comics. We don't read the previously canon, but now no longer canon novels. Um, all of the outside the cinema um, properties, we just don't engage with at all. Yeah. So, I mean, last time when we did Solo, I mentioned that, look, I I have seen pretty much all the films. I probably engage outside of the films a little bit more than everyone else here. Like, I've seen, like, the Clone Wars cartoon shows and... Um, I've seen Rebels and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I kind of am interested in Star Wars, but I wouldn't call myself, like, a crazy, crazy fan. I wouldn't be, like, a hardcore fan. But I think I've seen enough Star Wars to kind of get what it is. So, um, yeah. Anyway, on that note, shall we go around the table and just give our impressions and whether we would recommend this film or not? Um, I'm going to go last today because I'm going to rant. So I'll let someone else. <laughs> I'll let someone else start. Who who wants to put up their hand to start today? Anja. Uh-huh. 
Go. All right, if I have to. Um, <laughs> would I recommend it? <laughs> I think that if you're stuck through all of these films, then, yeah, absolutely watch it. I think it's a fine, okay conclusion with some problems but okay it's not like the godfather 3 where it's going to ruin your whole experience of you know some wonderful movies if you watch it so (laughs) it's safe to watch and yeah of course finish off the story if you've been following it so far there are some things i really liked about it i loved all the ray and kylo scenes because i think they have great chemistry so that really kind of Pulled, pulled it together and made those scenes worth watching and there I wish there was more of that um, so there was a couple of good fights the Ray and Kylo Ocean lightsaber fight um, Ray doing that backflip over Kylo's ship when the ship is coming at her at high speed that, those were cool scenes um, what I didn't like I actually thought there was way too much action. It might be because I was a bit stressed and anxious because we were in VMAX and it was very loud. And I'm suddenly thinking, <laughs> it's my baby. I'm, a, I'm pregnant. I'm thinking, is my baby getting upset and stressed at all this? Which I think – so then I think every time there was loud noise and action, it just stressed me out. So I felt like I had action fatigue. Um, and I also think there was so much action that it took away from some of the better fight scenes. Um I've always found the light side, you know, the, the 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 light side of the force, the dark side, to be just a very simple and underdeveloped theme in the whole of the whole of Star Wars. So, more of that is just not that exciting for me. Um, again, I find the characters boring. Like, I don't find the humor that funny. I don't find any of them that, that compelling. Um, I don't know why there was a new robot in this one and we didn't get to see um, as much of the existing robots. Um, I find the way the main characters treat C-3PO to be really, like, <laughs> like yes. upsetting. Yes. And there he is, and he, and he gives that whole, you know, me some of my friends. And his friends are basically just going, yeah, yeah, we're, we're totally destroying your memory because we want to get what's in there. Too bad, C-3PO. Like, what friends? They're not great friends, okay? So <laughs> they were so upset over Chewie's death, but C-3PO, forget it. Um, I found... Like, a lot of it is just implausible. Like, um, you know, the idea that the Emperor was there the whole time and nobody really knew until right now. And he's got all these ships that he's built up. just And yet nobody knew this was happening until right now. <laughs> is truly implausible. Um, Ray being, you know, obviously spoiler alert. This is a full spoiler review. Um, Ray being the Emperor's granddaughter. So... Before we saw this movie, we actually saw um, what was this, what's what's the one that just came before it called? Last Jedi. It's not the Force. The Last Jedi. We saw the Last Jedi, and when we were watching the Last Jedi, that was the that was when I said, "Hang on, it may be that we were sold a false thing about Ray being nobody because." Um, Basically, that whole idea that she's a nobody comes out when Scope's it's not what's what's oh god what's the villain Snoke 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 (laughs) when Snoke puts fake memories in both Kylo and Ray's heads he basically put puts visions in both of their heads that if they get together, they'll be able to turn the other. So they're obviously kind of fake visions, and that's around the same time that Kylo learns of her parentage so it was just as likely that that story was fake as well like it was it was it was an unreliable source where we got that information from and i didn't realize i didn't really catch on to that when i first saw um the last jedi but when we rewatched it that did occur to me so it's not that i find it implausible that she actually is related to one of the main characters but if she were his granddaughter, the idea that he's just let her roam about for such a long time, let her parents roam around, especially when they're pregnant, you know, like all of that stuff was weird. And the fact that, sure, she's his granddaughter, but not, not, it's almost as though she might as well not be. Like, what is there of that relationship? It's just, it's like, why did you even put that twist in there if you weren't going to develop it in some way? And the last thing I disliked is I find Ray too pure a character. Like I thought from the previews, there was going to be some element of Ray being tempted towards the dark side. And I think that it would be much more interesting and complex. But she really wasn't. Like I know she had some doubts, but there was really no 
I don't think real any real temptation there. So we didn't see any struggle in that regard. I find Kylo's character much more interesting because he's not fully dark side, right? He does struggle with that. And she just doesn't struggle at all, really, which is boring to me. So that's it in a nutshell. It was fine. I thought it was going to be better than it was going to be when we when it started. I was kind of excited, and then it just like halfway through, I just said, "Nah, no good." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what about you, Maggie? Yeah, I was listening to what you're saying, and I agree with Crystal. To be honest, um, <laughs> I thought I I thought as well. The most interesting part was the relationship between Ray and Kylo Ren. Um, I completely agree that actors have great chemistry and there are definitely scenes in the movie where, like, for example, um, the part where she's fighting the Emperor and he's fighting um, the Sith Lords, I suppose, and they're looking at each other um, using the Force and that moment um, where they're sort of gazing at one another I thought was actually quite a a uh, well-filmed moment. And part of that was because of the chemistry between the actors. So I really um, enjoyed that. And I thought it was a shame that the trilogy didn't really build on um, that relationship and, and lead to the climax of um, Kylo Ren shifting back, I, I suppose, towards the light, in inverted commas. That sort of shift for him that Ray apparently helped to instigate felt a little bit unreal to me. Um, especially with Leia's intervention, um, Leia um, miraculously still being alive at that point in time, um, it, it didn't really make sense to me. So I thought that was a bit of a shame and they really should have built on that a bit more. Um, really loved the hand-to-hand combat sequences between Kylo Ren and Rey. Um, and it seemed like those hand-to-hand combat sequences um, in this movie really were almost exclusively between those two characters. And for me, they seem to be the best action in the movie. Um, so even the hand-to-hand sort of sequences between Ray and some of the stormtroopers and um, with uh, Finn and the people that he was fighting um, in the, the final scene wasn't as interesting as that. So um, I thought that was a bit of a shame too that they seemed to keep it quite contained. I liked the dog fight, and it was a shame that there were so few of these this time around. Uh, And I also really enjoyed the music. John Williams always creates an incredible score, and I think this movie just showed again how um, gifted he is. Um, The main things that I thought were regretful, and there were a lot of them, um, the first one was they didn't really do enough with the rest of the cast. It was really quite um, little meaningful interaction and script, and I thought that was really, really... Um, uh, it meant that they were kind of left to push around a very basic plot, you know, having to find the dagger, going from one place to another. It, their main purpose was really that. But in any case, even in moving the plot along, it was really Ray that ended up doing all the main meaty work, even you know, finding that Sith tracker and then going through the minefield to help them find a pathway through to find, I can't remember what the world is now that the Sith were on, um, the unknown place. Exegol. Um, yeah. Yeah, Exegol. Exegol, but yeah. whatever. Exegol, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was up to Ray. So what were the, what was the point of the main cast, really? And so that meant that you couldn't really see the acting of people like John Bodega or, um, Oscar Isaac, and I love Oscar Isaac as a as an actor. And then Kerry Russell appeared for like two seconds, just her eyes. <laughs> apparently, you know, it really seemed like a, a, um, a shame to waste that kind of cast. Um, really basic one dimensional plot. Lots of examples of events that I guess remained unexplained, or as if the writers knew that we're putting in, you know, putting in these really implausible or um, great leaps of uh, believability. So the Emperor suddenly returning, Chewie blowing up, and they're not being dead, it turned out. I mean, what was the point of that? Um, mm. And then they had lines, you know, like when um, the stormtroopers started flying um, when they were in the desert country, and Oscar Isaac's character said a line, yep, they fly now, to explain the fact that all of a sudden the stormtroopers 
were flying. There were quite a few lines like that, as, as if the writers knew that they were doing things that, you know, the audience members would turn to one another and, and kind of scratch their heads. Um, and the other, I guess the, the final thing for me, this is kind of building on Anage's point about Ray being quite an unlikely um, too perfect hero. It, it, this movie seemed to imply that all the events of all the Skywalker you know, movies seem to be leading up to um, enabling Rey to kill the Emperor. It was almost like that was the whole purpose, to end Emperor Palpatine or to have this kind of final showdown between the light side of the Force and the dark side of the Force. And that line of, you know, the Emperor saying, I embody all the Sith, and Rey saying, I embody all the Jedi, seemed to imply that. And I'm not quite sure I really like that conclusion. Um, if that's what they were building up to, I think they could have done a much better job of creating a bit of nuance in the universe or in that path for Rey. Um, and the fact that she was just kind of introduced in this trilogy didn't really help. Um so it also makes me wonder then whether or not there's going to be other Star Wars movies, if Disney's, you know, got in its pipe, um, pipeline, other stories about the Skywalkers or whether or not this is really the, the final one. And I'm hoping that really this is the final one. Mm, mm. What do you think, Gerald? Well, let's rewind back to the 30th of October 2012 when Disney announced that it was taking over Lucasfilm and acquiring it for $4.05 billion. At the time, it seemed like possibly an overvaluation given that the prequels were so badly received by critics and audiences that the brand, the Star Wars brand, seemed completely and utterly tainted. Um, and yet Disney was at the, you know, in the initial stages of its amazing current run. And so there was reason for hope that, Disney could resuscitate the Star Wars brand, could bring fresh ideas to the table in extending um, the stories that could be told in the Star Wars universe. And I think, in retrospect, with this film, uh, it has to be said that the Disney-Lucasfilm exercise has been creatively, though not financially, a pretty dismal failure. I think this movie exposes the entire Star Wars universe for being creatively bankrupt, uh, and not least because, if the stories are to be believed, uh, this movie was, this trilogy was made without any real planning. So The Force Awakens comes comes out four, four years ago, and... At that time, there's no real roadmap to how this trilogy would end because when when Ryan Johnson was then given the gig for writing and directing The Last Jedi, he was told by Kathleen Kennedy and the higher-ups in Lucasfilm, hey, you've got complete control, do what you want. So he makes two very important, at least two very important creative choices. One, uh, to make Rey's parentage a non-issue, and two, to kill Snoke halfway through The Last Jedi, such, such that there's no conventional big bad of the sort that we had seen in the previous two trilogies. Now, in retrospect, that those decisions, while refreshing, did drive, at least the killing of Snoke did drive the, um, the entire trilogy into a bit of a cul-de-sac because who's the big bad then? Kylo Ren was this sort of tortured young man. He obviously didn't have sufficient gravitas to be a proper epic villain for a space opera of the sort that um, Disney wanted to create. And General Hux was a complete clown. So in a fit of, you know, retrograde, retrograde thinking, they bring back uh, Palpatine. And the decision to bring back the Emperor was, and to have, to have it all just sort of happen off screen and explain in the opening crawl of the movie, I think was just appalling. I thought that was a, a really awful decision that sort of set the set the parameters of the the failure that this movie was so you had you had the opening crawl the dead speak uh is are the first three words of the opening crawl we're told that the emperor has as has broadcast a message to the galaxy 
um, in between episodes eight and nine. So a very, very important development has happened off screen. And the next hour, the first hour of the film is this extremely disjointed, uh, messy, slightly incoherent, um, jumping around all manner of storylines. And when it's ultimately revealed that the Emperor was the puppet master behind all this, um, his plan is thoroughly unclear. At the beginning of the film, he tells Kylo Ren that he wants um, Rey to be killed. Then his plan metastasizes or changes into having Rey kill him so that she can inhabit and embody all the Sith. And then it changes again because he decides to suck out the life force from both Kylo Ren and Rey um, so that he can re- be restored to his former glory and take his place on the throne of the Galactic Empire. This shifting of his plans rather suggests that there was a degree of haphazard planning that that went into the making of this movie. They were improvising. They were doing things very, very quickly, and there was no real sense of a coherent story being told. So people have already noted the fact that, you know, potentially important developments are thrown out throughout this movie and then undone. So you had Chewbacca dying and then not dying. You had C-3PO losing his memory and then his memory being restored, at least to the point of the ending of The Force Awakens in uh, by R2-D2. So, so – you had all these. You had all these stakes being lowered. There was no sense of risk or danger. Um, it was very much, very much like season eight of Game of Thrones in that regard. Um, and so, despite the best efforts of the cast, I think the script badly let them down. Um, and to have Ray be the the granddaughter of Palpatine was, I think, a massive mistake. I mean, one of the great, you know, say what you will about The Last Jedi, I think the, the, the notion of Rey being a nobody and the kid at the end of the movie being at least Force-sensitive, being able to use the Force to move a broomstick, suggested that anyone can be inducted into the magic of the Force instead of, um, instead of this being something that's um, a matter of genetic destiny. But this movie does a complete 180 on that. And let's face it, who cares? Who cares about these bloodlines? I mean, when 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 Ray finally assumes the name Skywalker at the end of the film, which I found infuriating, I just thought to myself, why would you take the name Skywalker? This is a name synonymous with evil and failure. I mean, Darth Vader and Kylo Ren murdered, I don't know, countless people during the course of their respective runs. Uh, and, and for her to then to take the name Skywalker, it just seemed entirely bizarre. Um, so I think whilst the cast did their mightiest in order to breathe some sense of fun and urgency into this sto- into this film, um, the fact that the the that JJ and Co were paddling backwards so quickly in order to try and undo what they perceived to be the damage inflicted on the franchise by the Last Jedi. Um, was itself a bad move. I mean, even if you accept that the Last Jedi wasn't a great movie, and I think I think it was pretty good. But if you if you're one of the Star Wars fans who hated it, I think the attempts to undo what was done in that movie made this film even worse. So all in all, I think this was a hollow, bankrupt exercise, and uh, and it, it really in, in the end we've got now more bad Star Wars movies than good ones, and. Um, Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams being revealed as as the as the emperors without clothes. I mean, this was. I, I just don't see how, after all this, you can stand back and say, "Hey, um, these were significantly more successful films, creatively speaking, than the prequels." I don't think they were. I think they were every bit as dismal um, a failure as the prequels were. Okay. Um... Yeah, look, you know, you know what's interesting. Look, I I pretty much agree with what everyone has said. Like, it's it's pretty interesting on this that like we we actually have quite a lot of consent. Like, I mean, I'm about to give my thoughts, but really, I agree with what Anna Jim Mags and Gerald said. Right? Even though, like, I, I'm probably more 
um, inculcated into the Star Wars myth- mythos than you guys. Like, you know, what you've said absolutely makes sense, right? Um, I, I think where Disney is probably going to go now is that, like, <laughs> I think the most successful piece of Star Wars art that has come out in the last few years is actually The Mandalorian, which is on Disney+, Plus. that's been getting pretty decent reviews from fans and critics alike. Um, so, I don't know, maybe they're just they're going to pivot away from these sort of tentpole Star Wars films. But look, I, I'm, why, why don't I start on sort of my thoughts on the film um, by picking up kind of where Jerry left off. Um, yeah, like, I, 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 I definitely feel that... Part of me, look, part of me feels really bad for J.J. Abrams, right? Because um, I feel like... It, I mean, if the stories are to be believed, you have this scenario where you have, you know, one of the biggest franchises in the world, a franchise that, as Jerry pointed out, was, you know, Disney paid $4 billion for, and they started making new films for it, and they didn't really have a good direction of where things were going. And that seems like, on, on some level, that seems insane, right? So JJ, basically, I feel sorry for J.J. because J.J. basically has to pick up off The Last Jedi. And The Last Jedi is a film that, as a standalone film, and as a film that is kind of like an intellectual exercise on subverting the expectations of mainstream franchises, I can kind of understand artistically what Ryan Johnson was going for. But I genuinely felt that The Last Jedi was a really selfish film. Right? It was a film that was made to indulge Ryan Johnson's ego in some ways, right? Because it's it doesn't really set up the final film. So many of the plot points are kind of tied up. Like, when I watched The Last Jedi, I reflected on the fact that it felt like the return of the Jedi, almost, in some ways. The ending, where it was kind of like, all the Resistance people are dead, but the way it was wrapped up was kind of, well, where is this story actually going to go? So, like, I feel bad for JJ, because he basically came off a film that was not really a team player film. It was kind of like, they just gave creative control to this guy. So he made a film that he wanted to make, but didn't really fit into everything else that was kind of going on around it, right? Um, And I actually think, like, on... Like, I'll get more into this, but I actually think that The Last Jedi has a lot to answer for in terms of the overall structure of this trilogy. But, I mean... Look, I feel sorry for JJ, right? But the problem is that JJ has also decided subsequently to make a film where instead of salvaging as much as he could, he's just kind of gone, well, I'm just going to do my own thing as well. And not only that, I'm going to shove as much extra fan servicey stuff into it as well in an effort to basically... Bam- I don't know if bamboozle is the right word, but it's, 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 you know, you put all this fan service stuff in to basically camouflage the fact that this plot is just so out of left field. I mean, when the opening, cre- like, you know, the opening crawl opens up and it talks about how the Emperor lives, right? There was laughter in the audience. I, I think I laughed as well. I-, I couldn't believe what I was reading. I was like, what? Like... <laughs> How, when, when, when did, when did Palpatine, like, how is Palpatine involved in this kind of, this story at all? And so, all of a sudden, like, it's the last film of the trilogy, but its plot also is kind of completely divorced from pretty much everything else that has gone on. And then, on top of that, instead of having a simple plot, J.J. decides to have a really, like, it's not a complex plot in terms of like, emotional sort of growth or anything like that. But he has so much stuff happening, right? So I kind of feel like he's kind of gone there and just gone, I'm going to have a film where there's all this stuff happening and there's explosions all the time and I'm going to have all these sort of cheap emotional thrills in there, right? So when I say cheap emotional thrills, I mean stuff like wiping C-3PO's memory. But actually, doesn't actually matter. Gotcha, because we'll just, like, reboot his memory and he'll be fine, right? Oh, we're going to kill Chewbacca. But gotcha, he was actually on another transport. Like, just sort of, like, sort of to create fake emotion and then all this plot going on in the background, basically just to kind of confuse the audience. And 
it, it's almost like a Michael Bay style of filmmaking where there's so much stuff going on that you're just like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to forget about trying to make sense of all of this, right? Forget about, like, the logic or the rationale behind all of this. I'm just going to sit in this amusement ride. And to be honest, this was, for me, this was kind of how this film felt, right? Like, um, yeah. It, so, yes, I, I don't I don't love this film. I think as a standalone film, it kind of is works kind of in a roundabout way as an amusement ride. But as a film that kind of sits within a Star Wars trilogy, look, I mean, I don't think any of the Star Wars films have been masterpieces in cinema, but I think the original Star Wars trilogy did try to tell a coherent story with character growth. Um, you know, it, it was, I mean, the original Star Wars is still studied as like the classic hero's journey, right? And in this this trilogy, it's just like stuff happening, and it, none of it really matters, right? Um, one of the things that really, like, I was thinking when I was watching this film was that for sort of diehard Star Wars fans, The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker is basically like the last season. As Gerald was saying, it's like the last season of Game of Thrones, where you feel like you've been investing so much into this, and then... In the end, the resolution is basically, well, actually, this is just explosions and dumb stuff happening. So all of that investment and your theories and your thinking and, like, you know, you believing this is about something more, actually, forget about it, right? So in some ways, like, I definitely, from a fan's perspective, I can, I kind of feel like there's a level of, like, I reacted to it in the same sort of way that I reacted to the last season of Game of Thrones, which is, like, you feel a sense of almost betrayal, <laughs> right? Look, I, I know that that's a strong word, but, you know, like, we've all watched Game of Thrones, and we can, I think we can all kind of identify a little bit with that, right? Um, yeah, so, I think the main issue I have with this film, and linked to the overall trilogy, is kind of how much of a lost opportunity all of this is, right? If I rewind to kind of The Force Awakens, the fact... I... Look, for... The Force Awakens has copped criticism, but I love The Force... Well, I didn't... Okay, I like The Force Awakens a lot, right? I didn't think it was a bad film. I thought that, yeah, it copied beats from A New Hope, but I thought it was still a really good film, and I felt like the three new characters that were actually introduced in The Force Awakens, Finn, Poe, and Rey, they were, like, interesting characters, right? Like, if you think about it, you have a character where you don't really know their back, Rey, you don't really know their background, but somehow they're able to tap into the Force, and they seem to have some sort of lightsaber training that sets up a mystery, right? How is it that she is able to do all of this? The second character, you have Finn, right? Finn is an interesting character because for once in the Star Wars universe, you have a face behind the Stormtrooper, right? And, like, you know, you do, like, what, how does a Stormtrooper think? How does a Stormtrooper adjust to life outside being a Stormtrooper, right? And then you have Poe. Look, I think Poe is probably the least kind of fleshed out character in The Force Awakens, but, I mean, he's kind of like, I think they were trying to aim for a Han Solo-ish vibe to him. But yeah, like, you know, at the end of the day, the three of them had chemistry, they were decent, pretty decent actors, and you were keen to find out more about their story. And there's this huge loss of, like, now we're at the end of the trilogy, you definitely, like, I feel, I, I don't know if you guys feel it, but I definitely feel like it was this huge loss opportunity, because, you know, why is Rey so good at the Force, and why, because she has... Why does she have sort of lightsaber skills? Well, they don't really bother explaining that. She's, they just go, well, she's just really strong in the Force. Just shut up and, like, accept it, right? And I think that does her character a lot of disservice because it means that her character actually doesn't have an arc. Like, how does she grow as an individual? Like, how, how does she really become a better person throughout this story? She's just kind of, like, super powerful to start with and she's super powerful to end. And... It's like it's not like the resolution of this film is dependent on her character growth, right? So yeah, I feel like Ray. Like I, I feel bad for Ray because this is a character that could have had a lot of exploration, but it was just really nothing. Finn, like Finn is a character. Like, they could have done so much with Finn, and instead, throughout the course of these three films, like 
he's basically the same character as he was at the beginning. I mean, to be honest, I thought first when Finn was introduced that he was going to have this whole arc with Captain Phasma. Remember Captain Phasma? She's like the silver stormtrooper, right? Who was played by um, Gwendolyn Christie, Brienne of Tarth. And... I kind of felt like, oh, okay, so Finn is going to grow as a character. He's going to, you know, reflect on his time as a stormtrooper, and then he's going to fight Phasma, who is like the arch stormtrooper. And it's going to be like through that re- that ideological resolution that he's going to become, grow as a character. He's going to be a stronger character as a result of it. But none of that happens. Phasma falls into a pit of fire to, to basically, um, click, you know, like... In order for Ryan Johnson to satisfy his subversion of expectations, Phasma f- falls into a pit of fire in the second film. And in the second film and this film, Finn doesn't... His, his story is purely plot-driven. His story is purely, I need to go to point A, and now I need to go to point B. And, well, but, it, like, fine. That's, that's fine if you're in a video game. Or a theme park ride, but if you are a if you're a movie that's trying to tell a story about characters, the, the story needs to say something about this character, and the story never says anything about the character of Finn. He's like Finn exists as a character purely on the charisma of John Boyega. I think that's like that's such a lost opportunity. You know, we can go go on about Poe as well. I think in this film they tried to introduce some background to Poe with Zori Bliss, who was played by... Who was the lady who played Felicity? Sorry. Um, oh, Carrie, Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. Yeah. So they tried to... But that was tokenistic. It was like one of these classic J.J. Abrams tokenistic plays, right? Tokenistic emotional play, where they introduce this character, and she actually means nothing, right? She's in a helmet for the whole time. She comes in, within five seconds, she gives Poe her most, like, valuable life possession, which is some, like, (laughs) captain's medallion, and then he uses it like a video game in the next five minutes to gain access to the bad guy's base. Like, it actually means nothing. There's no emotional resonance. This is a story that is being told for the sake of the story. Not to tell, like, not to reveal anything about, like, you know, the human condition or anything like that. Not that Star Wars ever is, like, you know, going to be a very deep film, but at the very least, I feel like the original trilogy did have something to say about the journey of the hero. Right, but these films—they don't have anything to say about any of these things. None of these characters grow. None of these characters really go anywhere. Maybe Kylo Ren. Like for me, the only scene in this film that really had any emotional resonance was surprisingly the scene when Harrison Ford—I had no idea how they convinced Harrison Ford to come back—but Harrison Ford and Kylo Ren have a scene, and I felt like that was a genuine scene. I—that I, was the only scene that I felt any emotional re- resonance with. Everything else was just, this is a theme park ride. This is a video game. What is the point of this? Um, I I think also, like, Gerald made the point of Disney played it really safe with this film. Like, they kind of overcorrected after The Last Jedi. And I I absolutely agree. I, I feel like these films, overall these films, had an opportunity to play with the idea of the Force, right? And I actually thought they were going to do that. Because, um... George Lucas, I think, after he made the prequels, kind of started realizing that, like, because okay, if you think about the look, I, I don't know if you guys remember the prequels very, very much, but like, strictly speaking, Anakin Skywalker was supposed to bring balance to the Force, right? And I think George Lucas was already like was aware of the fact that to bring balance to the Force is actually not just about being a Jedi because a Jedi are not balanced; they're completely to one end of the Force scale, right? Bringing balance to the Force is being able to ride, like in, I, I think anyway, is being able to ride the line between light and dark. And I thought that in this, after I watched The Force Awakens, I thought that this trilogy was going to be about. Um, Ray was going to be the person who has this revelation that the way of the Force is to ride the line between light and dark, because that is how we survive as human beings, right? And mm. instead, we got this film, again, which was like a Saturday morning cartoon where you have, like, horrible, evil dark man and, like, goody-two-shoes Jedi person, and the way this film resolves is that good Jedi person... 
like, picks up two lightsabers and kills evil Darkman. Like, <laughs> this was, you know, if Disney wanted to do something new with Star Wars, they could have really de- delved into what it was to be find balance in the Force, and instead they gave us a Saturday morning cartoon again. And for me, like, that was so, so disappointing, right? Especially since, like, like Game of Thrones, early on I thought there were signs pointing to the fact that it wasn't going to be like that, but it absolutely just ended it up being like that. Um, yeah, look, I, I've ranted a lot. Um, I think the last thing that I... Re- sorry, I'm really sorry that I'm ranting this no, long. No, I completely agree. Spot on. Um, but I felt like the ending of this film was atrocious. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I can't get over the fact that... The way... Okay, so they introduced Palpatine as this horrible, like, multi-generational... He's just this evil that has existed, like, almost like a primeval source of evil, right? And the way they resolve it is not by some sort of, like, catharsis. It's not like Kylo and Rey come to some sort of understanding, like, some sort of emotional understanding about the Force or something like that. There's no, like, sort of underlying thematic element that underpins the resolution of this film. Literally, like, I mean, this is Stroller's podcast, so let's play back how this film actually ends. The way this film ends is that Palpatine sucks the life out of Rey and Kylo. Kylo gets up, Palpatine, like, blasts him into a hole, and then Rey gets up, and the way she resolves this is that she lights her lightsaber, she absorbs the force lightning that Palpatine is, like, forcing out of his hands, and then the way she beats Palpatine is, you know what? Two lightsabers is better than one. She grabs the other lightsaber that she's got lighting, lying around, and she, with two lightsabers, she's able to just basically push the force lightning into Palpatine's face and kill him. That's it. That's it. It's not like her accessing that second lightsaber has any sort of emotional resonance or value. It's not like she's learnt some lesson by accessing that second lightsaber. It's literally, well, I've got two lightsabers now, so now I've powered up, and now I, because I've powered up, I'm going to, like, pump this force lightning back into your face. It's... I, I know that they try... Look, I mean... Maybe I'm not being entirely fair. Like, they try playing at this idea of, oh, all the all the history of the Jedi are kind of living with her now. But, like, that point is, like, like so many other emotional beats in this film, that point rings hollow because it's never really been addressed or, like, considered prior to that. And it's not really even a huge part of Rey's character. Like, I mean, Ray doesn't have a character arc, so how can you introduce this, this point at this, this idea that all the Jedi live through her now be satisfying? Because she's never gone through that arc to land at that final position where it's like, oh yeah, that's her accessing all the power of the Jedi at this point. Makes sense, and it's satisfying. It's not satisfying because she hasn't gone through a character arc. Uh, can I pitch to you my alternative ending to this movie? Um, I don't change very much. The only thing I change is this. Um, so, so Kylo Ren uses force healing to bring uh, Ray back to life, and in so doing, sacrifices his own life because it, it requires all his life force to restore her to the world of the living. So we get that. Then she brings him back to life and dies again. <laughs> 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 brings her back to life and dies again. <laughs> the movie ends on that. It just ends on that because so for the rest of time, the two of them are going to be in that cave in Exegol, bringing each other to life and dying in the process. I think that would have been a better ending for this movie than her flying off to Tatooine, burying, burying the lightsaber of Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. Who knew that Princess Leia had a, had, had a lightsaber and taking the name Skywalker because some angry old woman asked her what her name was? Look, I, 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 look, I, I think at this point that would make... Yeah, I, I agree. It probably would... You know, that... You know, one of the things, when I came out of this film, I was saying to the mags that probably the only way this film can be read in any 
sort of not even substantive, but like in an interesting way, is if the film is like a metaphor for a toxic relationship. Because Red and Kylo Red, <laughs> sorry, Kylo Red and Ray are basically in this toxic relationship where they're constantly killing each other and then resurrecting each other. And like it's just like <laughs> anyway, it was. Look, I I thought that the ending of this film. I don't know. I think. Like, the ending of this film is, like, classic JJ, where he's trying to go for sort of cheap emotional... Um, the che- Like, you know, he's trying to get people to tear up. It's that sort of emotional hit. But, it, like, there's just been nothing built up to quant- justify that. And as a result, I think most audiences will be able to see through it. I mean, definitely in our theatre, people were laughing. Like, Mags, you can back me up on this, right? But people were laughing yeah. during these emotion, supposedly emotional scenes. People were like, what the hell is going on here? So I think JJ's kind of played that sort of cheap emotional card one too many times, and people are kind of seeing through what's going on. Um, yeah, and so basically, like, where I'm at with this film now is that in the same way that, like, you know, when we watched real... Like, when we as a group podcast about really bad films... Like, I use The Predator as the classic example. But basically what it ends up when ends up happening is that you get a list of really dumb stuff that happened that is inexplicable and irrational, right? And that happens when the internal logic of the film is broken and the film is bad enough that you start questioning all of the things that are kind of happening in the film, right? And I came out of this film and I've just got this... I've got a list of, like, at least 20 things where it's just like, I, I won't subject all of you to the entirety of that list but it's just like i mean that is a sign for me that this film does does not land because instead of me thinking about the overarching story and forgiving the little plot niggles that slightly don't really make sense i spent my entire time basically going hang on this film fundamentally breaks star wars lore and canon on so many levels right? Like, um, yeah. Anyway, look, what do you guys think? Like, have I, am I off on another planet? Do you guys agree? Yeah, disagree? you're totally right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right, Daz, and I think, um, you're probably right to lay uh, a heavy share of the blame for this at the feet of J.J. Abrams and probably also at the feet of Kathleen Kennedy, who said about making this, this trilogy without, a plan beforehand, which allowed Ryan Johnson to make a couple of controversial um, creative decisions in The Last Jedi. Like I said, I, I was a big fan of the idea of Rey being nobody, but I can understand that um, killing Snoke off halfway through The Last Jedi meant that there was no uh, real antagonist to the heroes of this movie, given that I think Kylo Ren was not enough of an antagonist. He was caught between light and dark. And so you needed someone on the dark side to be the antagonist to the goodies. And unfortunately, they had nowhere to go but to bring Sheev Palpatine out of the cupboard and give him one more turn at the wheel. Um, I think that was a creatively bankrupt decision. And it's the sort of decision that J.J. would make because, you know, J.J. knows how to... He's very good at making a camera move, and he's great at at the set piece, at the action set pieces. He's always been great at the action set pieces. One is only to go back to Mission Possible Three, and particularly the bridge scene, to see just how good he can be uh, making an action set piece. But when it comes to telling a broader story, and particularly ending a story, JJ has never been good at that, and he himself confessed in the pages of the New York Times about a week before this movie came out. Yeah, I know, I'm not very good at ending stuff. Hopefully, we've we've stuck this landing. So I think they they went in for the... the, They they tried to go with the easy solution for every one of the problems that they confronted in the aftermath of The Last Jedi, and in so doing, I think, cheapened the whole experience of this trilogy and diminished it vastly, whereas... um, at the end of episode six, one could say that this was, you know, it was partly silly in the sense that these were movies about space wizards for kids in the words of Patrick Willems, but there was an element of space opera 
about all this. Maybe not quite at the level of Asimov or Dune, but this was space opera um, and it had a sort of mythic majesty about it. And I think now this has really vastly diminished the world of Star Wars. You know, this is really now the story of a couple of feuding families. So what was... What was previously, you know, sort of space Iliad or space Odyssey is now sort of space Game of Thrones. And that was just a bit disappointing to see at the end of the day, particularly since, you know, this is a year in which we've we've seen the endings for stuff. Stuff has ended really badly in pop culture this year. You know, season eight of Game of Thrones was a traumatizing experience for anyone who'd invested any time in that show. And to have this to have this be served up in such a hack manner um, and was, 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 was really just regrettable. And, you know, there are a whole bunch of other, other uh, problems with the film, not least of which are, you know, writing Rose Tico basically out of existence. Um, the very obvious dismissal of the Hodo maneuver, the whole, the, the, the Hodo maneuver, which look, I know the Holdo Maneuver broke some of the rules of the Star Wars universe, but there's no doubt that it was one of the most breathtaking visual moments in all nine films. And um, for them to just sort of frog it off and say, ha, that's a one, that's a one in a million, whatever, uh, was, I think, you know, sort of an un- unnecessary, gratuitous middle finger directed at Ryan Johnson. Yeah. And it's just like, just like that that sort of left a bad taste in the mouth. Yeah, look... So I look. I agree with you that Kathleen Kennedy absolutely is to blame for the way this trilogy has panned out, and I do agree that JJ made some pretty. I think JJ made some choices because he wanted to make a film that pleased everybody. And I think that backfired on him, right? But I actually like. So I, I think where we kind of slightly differ on this, Jerry, is that I actually put more of the blame on all of this on Ryan Johnson, because I guess for me, The Last Jedi did not feel like a mainline Star Wars film. I felt like Kathleen Kennedy should have given Ryan Johnson a Star Wars film to do, but it should not have been one of the core trilogy films. If he was going to do something that was so such a departure, such like I know that there are a lot of fans, and I think some of their concerns are justified. Like there was a lot of stuff that happened in The Last Jedi that was a bit of a middle finger to fans. And for that to happen, that should not have happened in a mainline Star Wars film. That should have been in a spin-off Star Wars film, where they could have creatively just done whatever the hell they wanted, right? But the way Ryan Johnson did that middle film, basically, I felt like he, he basically forced J.J. down a certain path in some ways, right? Now, J.J. went, took that path and went further in (laughs) which created what we've got now but yeah i i definitely i i think ryan johnson has a lot more and look you know you know this right we've talked about this i mean i before the last jedi i probably was not particularly i i found ryan johnson's films to be perfectly fine right but i felt like the way he did the last jedi and the way actually he subsequently responded basically to say everybody to pretty much everyone who had criticism of it, you're wrong. Um, you know, this is artistic. You're just wrong. I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I, I really have issues with him, <laughs> right? I, I really felt like what he did was the equivalent of the long night in Game of Thrones season eight. And everything after that kind of, like, if you remember in the long night, we basically found out the Night King is, like, forget about no, him, right? He's, 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 he's nothing, right? And so... Ryan Johnson yeah, and, did and the long Ryan night. Did, he did that. He completely did that with Snoke. Look, I I agree. The decision to kill Snoke was was a bad one, and it it, it created one of the major problems for this, that this film had to address, namely, at the risk of repetition, who do you have as a big bad? Mm. Having said that, I think the decision to have Snoke in the first place was a bad decision. I think I think whilst it's fair to say that. Ryan Johnson's attitude of burning down the house uh, was less than constructive for the purpose of ending the trilogy. I think if you go back to The Force Awakens, which which I agree is a very fun film, great experience in the theatre, but it nonetheless, by being by being so slavishly repetitive of the various beats in um, the original trilogy, 
you know, by having a big bad in the form of Snoke, who was a parallel to the Emperor, by having Kylo Ren be a parallel to Darth Vader, by having Kylo Ren's killing of Han Solo be reminiscent of the moment when when Darth Vader kills his former mentor and master, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. By, by doing all of that, and the, the Force Awakens actually imposed upon this trilogy a set of constraints that it, it could never... That it, it was forced into this into this fork in the road. Either it was going to be completely unoriginal, or if the film after Force Awakens tried to be original and do its own thing, it would create problems for the way the trilogy would end in terms of you know creating cohesive arc for every character and every story and every storyline. Now, um, Ryan Johnson went for the latter path, and look. That created problems, but I think the former path would have been just as problematic. It would have cre- it would have created a franchise that would have a, a trilogy which would have slavishly repeated so many of the beats of the original trilogy, right down to as we can as we saw from the from the mystery box about uh, Ray's parentage in the Force Awakens, whether or not she was a descendant of someone particularly important in um, the Star Wars universe. So I think a lot of bad ideas were seeded in The Force Awakens. The attempt by Ryan Johnson to shake himself free of those bad ideas perhaps magnified some of those problems. But um, I, I think I think ultimately, if you if you if you step if you take a step back, um, Kathleen Kennedy um, and JJ, when planning The Force Awakens, seeded um, the very will create you know sort of sowed the seeds of their own downfall um, in various story beats that they planted throughout that first film. Yeah, it, it really boggles the mind, right? It's In some ways, a parallel with Game of Thrones is nuts, because in the same way that you kind of think, you know, D&D have sub- subsequently come out and said, well, they didn't really know how they were going to get from point A to point B. They just kind of had point A and point B, and they just figured it out as they went along, right? In the same way, this is basically what happened to Star Wars. And you think to yourself... <laughs> they didn't even have point B. They started at point A. They just actually didn't know how the trilogy would end. Yeah, well, uh, exactly, right? Like, how is it that you have these, like, franchises that have so much money associated with them and no one can be asked? Like, it wouldn't it take you, like, maybe a week... Like, you sit in a room and you it's like, what are you talking about? There's so much money on the line and they can't be asked doing the most basic thing. It, it really boggles my mind here, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Is there anything else we really want to talk about in terms of this? Sorry, I, no. I, I've definitely ranted a lot. No, I think, I think we, no, I think we've covered all of the points there. Like, this movie doesn't deserve quite as much analysis as you guys have, you know, really kind of bestowed upon it. (laughs) Look, okay, I'm just going to add one final point, right, which is, um, so, basically this film, this film sort of raises the idea that Jedi could heal each other, right? Like, they can use their Mm -hmm. force powers to heal each other. And if you think about it, the prequels were bad films, but the entirety of the prequels, why, why does Jerry, why, why does Anakin fall to the dark side? He is gets it, pulled to the dark side amongst other things. Well, the first thing is he, his, his mum dies, and secondly, he's worried about he's worried about his wife's health. Correct, and... right? He's worried about <laughs> his wife's health. Okay, and so it's established that Jedi can heal each other. Why is he not majoring in Jedi healing? When he goes to Jedi school, he should just be doing Jedi healing, right? He's got a premonition his wife is going to die. So instead of learning how to heal someone, he decides that the only way to save his wife is by doing a deal with the devil and then murdering everyone close to him. Like, the whole introduction of Force healing is like, well, the prequels were, like, Anakin Skywalker is actually just an idiot. Like, what was the point of all of that? Anyway, um, <laughs> it was one of these things that I was just... When I was watching this, I was like, hang on, this actually makes things... Like, this really breaks the entirety of Star Wars now. So, anyway. Um, True. Okay. Yeah. 
Whoa. So I, I just think, I, 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 as I understand it, they are they are taking a break from the movies. They're probably going to focus more on on television shows. Uh, the Mandalorian is, of course, the first off the first cab off the rank, but they'll be. Um, I think they've seeded in this movie a show in which Lando Calrissian and the um, that woman who's the stormtrooper who may or may not be uh, Finn's next girlfriend uh, go about uh, trying to find out where she came from. Um, and uh, is Lando Calrissian fit? To, like he he looked really old. I he, won't lie. He has, he, has gone to, he has gone to seed. He is. <laughs> He is obviously, you know, sort of, um, you know, in in the course of, uh, you know, he's obviously like we first meet Lando Calrissian in the middle of um, Space Burning Man, and he's obviously decided just to hang out, um, get high, and eat a lot. <laughs> uh, and so the idea that Lando Calrissian could have flown around the galaxy mustering everyone to come <laughs> join the fight at Exegol uh, was was hilarious. It was, <laughs> <laughs> Almost as good as how the Emperor magicked this army of Star Destroyers with, like, planet-destroying weapons out of nothing, basically. He was in this mid-planet that no one knew existed, and he just had 10,000 Star Destroyers. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Well, I think we've talked as much as we're going to... I think there's not really much more to say about the Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, thanks everyone. There's nothing left to say, right? Just no, not at it. Okay, on that note, um, thanks everyone for joining me tonight, and we'll be back soon, hopefully, with something else to talk about. Sounds good. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.